0: Once again, welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to our study and to our series began last week. It's entitled Identity. Again, we spent a number of weeks looking our church as a whole, the DNA, who are we as a church? This particular series examines who you and I are, who are we in Christ? What is our identity The phrase from last week, one pastor said, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And so last week, we looked at the fact that you and I, God's Word says we are an ambassador. If we're an ambassador, there's a number of descriptions and definitions of who we are and what we do in Christ. This morning, we're going to be looking at the thought from Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, that you and I in Christ are a masterpiece, masterpiece. How many of you have an interest in and intrigue in uh, artwork, some of the art scene? You have experienced some of that. Maybe uh, you've gone through in some of your classes, you've seen some of that. So I'm going to ask you some questions. We're going We're going to test you. We're going to need your help out today. I want to see if you can identify these masterpieces. What are they called? What are they referred to? And who is the artist that did them so. Let's take a look at the first masterpiece. It's a little bit small up on the screen, but we, we zoomed in on a portion here on the left. Anybody have an idea of what that is and who did it? Let me just help you out, okay? Sistine Chapel, Sistine Chapel, painted by Michelangelo. Okay, yes, yeah, so. Uh, on the right, really, really, from your perspective, kind of tiny scenes. We we tried to zoom in. That is uh, the, the portion there. Uh, so let's go to something maybe a little easier, maybe a little harder. This is a, a sculpture. Yes, the thinker. Anybody know who sculpted that? Yes, good job, Rodin. So we've got... Sistine Chapel by Michelangelo. We've got The Thinker by Rodin. And then this one I'm sure you will get. This masterpiece is? The Mona Lisa by? Oh, very good. Masterpieces. Now, each of these works, and there's a whole bunch of others. There's a lot of artists and a lot of you know, individuals who sculpt. Many, many pieces would probably be referred to as a masterpiece. There's things from Vincent van Gogh and just so many other pieces. But as we take a look, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we're going to see some bad news, and we're going to see some good news. The bad news, unfortunately, is Paul writes a description of you and me, who we are, without Christ and it's not pretty without Christ we're defined but the good news at the very end of our passage is that in Christ you and I are God's masterpiece maybe not quite like a Mona Lisa maybe not quite like the thinker maybe not quite like the Sistine Chapel but God has created you and I as a masterpiece so take a look Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 Paul begins to share what you and I were. Everybody say, what we were. What we were. Were. Past tense, he says, verse 1, As for you, you were. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So what we were, he says, we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sins. We were an object or, by nature, deserving of wrath. But then he shifts and says, here's what you and I are currently in Christ because of what Christ has done. He says in verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy... Now, some of the versions, some of the translations put those two powerful words together, two short little words together and say, But God, you were dead in your transgressions, but God, you were dead in your sins, but God, you were by nature deserving of wrath, but for God. He says, but God, because of his great love for us, who's rich in mercy, in verse 5, what did he do and what are we in Christ? He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So he says, here's what you were, dead in transgressions, dead in sins, deserving of wrath. But where are you and I now in Christ? God's made us alive. He saved us, raised us up, and seated us with him. That's where we are right now. And then he says, well, let me, let me tell you how you got there. How did you and I go from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ? Verse 8 through 10, he says, it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Everybody say, gift of God. It's not from you, it's the gift of God. Of God, Verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's masterpiece. Some versions or translations would say we are his workmanship, his craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul says, listen, you and I can't take credit for it. It's by grace you're saved through faith. Now, you've seen perhaps this kind of ad for the military. This is, in fact, for the Marines. It says our title is earned, never given. Now, that sounds good for the Marines, right? We're going to earn this title of a Marine. It's the exact opposite in Christ. It is given in Christ and never earned. You and I can't earn salvation. He says it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's not how awesome you are in and of yourself. It's by grace. But again, verse 10, he says, We are God's masterpiece. So this morning, let's take a look at the, the definition of what, in fact, is a masterpiece. First of all, as a masterpiece, know that you and I are a work in progress. A work in progress. He says, we are God's masterpiece. We're his workmanship, his craftsmanship. Uh, You might call it a piece of work. Turn to somebody near you, give them the biggest smile you can, and just say, you're a piece of work. Now, when you and I hear that, sometimes it's not always in the most positive light because sometimes we say that because we mean, wow, you got a whole lot going on. You're a piece of work. But in Scripture, as a masterpiece of His workmanship, He is creating and crafting us. We are a work in progress. The awesome thing is there are some incredible and instantaneous immediate change when God comes into our heart and into our life. I'm thankful for that. But then there's that continual day-by-day workmanship, a work in progress as his masterpiece. You ever watched an artist working on a project? Or maybe you yourself in school, you had a project in art class, right? And you've got this canvas or you've got this board, whatever it is, and you, you kind of sketch out maybe... Maybe as simple as a pencil. Or you just kind of sketch out what that painting is going to look like. Or you're working with clay and you kind of start the process. After day one, it probably doesn't look like much. And same thing with the painter. I mean, an actual painter who, who you know does some incredible works, this isn't something that they just kind of put together in a few minutes. It takes time. And it probably doesn't look like a whole lot immediately. Little by little by little, you see that picture begin to take shape. Or maybe you work with, uh, I don't know, some of you might do quilts. And you start with the, the little squares, right? And you're putting square and square and square together you got to start somewhere, right? You start with a square. I've never done one, but I can imagine you've got to start with a square, and then you sew it together with another square. And what do you have? Two squares that might cover your foot. And then you get a third and a fourth, and little by little by little, this, this afghan or this quilt takes shape. Now, if you are, you know, some of you are stitching or embroidering and, you know, if you look on the backside where all the stitches are or all of, uh, you know, sometimes all the, the messy parts on the backside, you say, what in the world is this? And you flip it over, oh, I see in the front. Works take time. Or maybe you've done some construction projects around the house or you've seen houses being built and what do you see? You see a big hole in the ground. Well, that looks great then you see some concrete being poured, and then a whole bunch of wood strewn all over the place. Construction projects take some time. Or how many of you enjoy baking? Maybe you don't enjoy the baking, you just enjoy eating uh, once it's baked. I mean, those cakes and cookies and muffins, I'm going to get you hungry as I can here. All of those beautiful baked goods, they look so great when they're finished. What do they start at? What do they look like? A pack of eggs, a whole mess of flour, you know, a bunch of little this and a bunch of little that, some baking soda, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You look at these ingredients on the counter, doesn't look like much. Put it together Stir it up, bake it, put some frosting or icing or whatnot on that. And you see, there's a work in progress. I sense it's a little bit like you and I. We showed you the Sistine Chapel. It said he took four years to paint the ceiling. And painting the ceiling, he's painting on his back. I mean, I would struggle enough painting standing up, drawing a stick figure. He's he's painting this work of art, masterpiece, on his back, four years to do that. Rodin, the cast, he made the first cast of The Thinker in 1880, but didn't complete it until 1902, 22 years later. The Mona Lisa as well took four years, and in fact, x-rays have shown three previous versions underneath. Perhaps multiple tries or attempts. Masterpiece is a work in progress. You and I are a masterpiece, not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. So there's this immediate change, this immediate transformation. We're a masterpiece, yet we're still a work in progress as God's working on you and God's working on me. Paul writes, that we were created. These are all the things that we were, and he uses those past tense verbs, but he says we are, present tense, we are his masterpiece. It it indicates that continuing action. We are and we continue to be his masterpiece. We don't instantly become everything God intends us to be eventually. There's an immediate change, and then there's that day-by-day process of transforming. He molds and shapes us into who and what he desires to become. Sometimes it's maybe a brushstroke at a time. Sometimes it gets the chisel out, like Rodin and the thinker. Chiseling away all of the things that ought not to be there in that masterpiece. Paul writes in Very next book of the Bible that we have in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He began it, he started that process. It's a work in progress. You and I, we're a work in progress. As we've said one to another, oftentimes a piece of work. But sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we struggle, maybe you have, maybe I have, we struggle with impatience. Anybody been there? Impatience. Sometimes we forget we're a work in progress. We forget that God's still working on us, and we just want to be ready and grown spiritually. It's a work in progress, and sometimes if we're not careful, we can be impatient. Sometimes if we're not careful when it comes to others, we can get critical. Because we want people to be patient with us because we're a work in progress. But sometimes we can be a little critical of others because they're a work in progress as well. Patience is needed. What's the old phrase? Be patient. God's not finished with me yet. Or the... Old song of the church, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be, right? Either way, it indicates, it reminds us, yes, we're a masterpiece in Christ, but we're a work in progress. The good news is the work that God needs to do in you, it's the same work he needs to do in others. There's this process of growing and being stretched sometimes. a masterpiece whether you consider that to be the painting whether you consider that to be the sculpture you're a work of art but you're a masterpiece in progress a work in progress secondly when we look at the fact that God has called us and through Paul he's written about us being a masterpiece it's not just that we're a work in progress secondly we're created for a purpose He says, you, or we, as he writes, are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Created in Christ Jesus. If you look throughout the the book of Ephesians, you'll see that phrase, in Christ, or in Jesus, or similar terms time and time again. In fact, jot it down maybe as a note in, in your notes or in your Bible and just begin reading through the book of Ephesians and see Highlight, underline, circle. How many times do you see that? In Christ, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. He leaves no doubt who we are and what takes place. It's not because of us, it's because who we are in. We are in Christ. The gift, the talent, the personality, our, our makeup, all of who we are, we're created to bring honor and to bring glory to Him. It's not about pointing everybody to us. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. There's a purpose. The masterpiece that you and I take a look at, some of these artworks and, and some of these sculptures, and you know, there's museums, right? And the museum is designed for you to walk in and you, and you walk at this piece and you You stand and you stare and you go, ooh, ah, wow. You and I are not for other people to stare at and go, ooh, ah, wow. We are to be used of God for his honor and for his glory. There is a purpose. In some of those earlier works, Mona Lisa was probably commissioned by Da Vinci's father as a gift for friends. Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel as a commission of Pope Julius II, and Rodin's Thinker was created as a commission for an entrance to a Paris museum. There is a purpose behind these items. Uh, This word that we have translated masterpiece could also be translated as a beautiful poem poem to be a poetic declaration before the Lord. Some also would translate that as tapestry, kind of a coming together, if you would, as a masterpiece. But it's not just so that someone can look at your life and say, wow, there should be a purpose as we are used of God for his honor, for his glory. He says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's the purpose of our creation. Now, understand the distinction. We are not saved by our good works, but are saved for or to do good works. He says, we're not saved by our works. You and I can't do enough good things to earn our way in. Now, we can do some good things. And, and if you had a little punch card, you know, you can go to different places, and, and you go to the gas station, and after so many punches, you get a free coffee. Certain, certain restaurants, you go so many times, you get so many punches, you get a free meal. So you can kind of earn a free coffee because of what you've purchased. You can earn a free meal based on what you've bought. You and I can't earn our way into heaven based on what we do. We can't help enough people, pray for enough people, do enough good things to say, I'm getting in on my own merit. He says, by grace you're saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's not by works. If it were by works, well, you could then boast. (laughs) I got all my works done. I'm in heaven. How about you? Still working on it, I see. Yeah, maybe one day you'll get there. I've already gotten it. He says, it's not by works so that no one can boast. So we're not saved by our works, but because we are saved, because we've given our lives to Him, then it should result in good works for Him, living for Him. Many other world religions would teach that our good works enables people to achieve or experience salvation. Many Americans, if you would ask them, they would probably think, if I do good things, I will go to heaven. I've got to do good things. I've got to be a good person. My good works earn my way in. One pastor writes this, no good works can produce salvation, but many good works are produced by salvation. We can't earn our way in with good works, but because we have received salvation, because He has cleansed and forgiven and changed us, it should result in you and I living out and doing some good works for the Lord. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good works don't earn our way in, but as a Christian, we're created to bring honor and glory and point people to Him. There's a purpose in our lives. Now, we wish that there were certain things that we faced or experienced that we did not have to face or experience. Would you agree with that? And yet in the midst of everything that we face, God's able to take those things, even the not-so-good things, and use it for His honor and glory. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, Who've been called according to his purpose. Now, we don't like that so much. We don't like to have to go through the difficult times. But you think about the Wednesday night Bible study that we completed a couple weeks ago was on the study of Joseph in the Old Testament. You want to talk about somebody who had been through some stuff. Joseph, as a teenager, had some dreams or visions and believing that his family was to bow down to him. And, you know, he, he told them about it. And they didn't take too fondly to that. If you remember the story, and as we studied it, the reminder was the brothers didn't like it. They didn't like him. He was the favorite. He had the coat of many colors. And one day, they stuck him down in a pit. And and they were going to kill him and just get rid of him because that was the, the problem they were trying to remove. And then decided to sell him as a slave to foreign land. Now, some of you, you might have had the thought of selling a sibling into slavery or, you know, kind of getting rid of them. Like, man, they're picking on me so much. Can't I just get rid of them? Joseph's brothers literally did that, sold into slavery. And in the midst of that, God was blessing and prospering. He he rose to prominence in Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife put the moves on him. He declined her advances, and she falsely accused him of doing something he didn't do, which put him in prison. So thrown in the pit, sold into slavery, placed in prison. He interprets dreams, and God uses him in a mighty way Then he's forgotten about. Pharaoh has dreams and then they remember oh yeah there's this one guy who interpreted my dream and and God used him in a mighty way he was brought he interpreted the dream seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine and because of the wisdom and the favor of God he was placed second in command. Now, you and I would love the whole second-in-command. We we like the promotion. We like all of the positives. uh, But we're not crazy about all of the road and the journey to get there. We want the palace without the pit. We want the palace without slavery, without being sold. We, We like the palace without being put in prison we want all the blessings without all of the challenges and yet what we see is you and i are created in christ jesus for a purpose he didn't say you and i were created and it will be a perfect life i've never seen that in scripture that your life or my life would be perfect if you found it let me know so i can stand upon it what i have seen Psalm 23, the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you are with me. The psalmist said, he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know about you, not really a place I want to hang out in. But he says, I don't fear evil, because you're with me. So there's some difficulties that you and I face. There's some difficulties that you and I walk through, But God's able to take that, even those difficulties, and use them to bring about his purposes. Doesn't mean he causes all of that. But he can take even the bad things you and I face and use them for his purpose. In fact, what Joseph told his brothers, he said, You meant for evil, God meant it for good. And as we discussed that over the number of weeks, certainly the challenges is we were saying, we're not sure that we could say that. Some of us, you know, we might really want to just, man, you know, rub our brothers' faces in the fact that we were right. And he took the high road. He struggled a little bit, maybe early on in how we connected and interacted with those brothers. But ultimately, he said what you did. You put me in the pit. You sold me into slavery. You meant it for evil. You know you were were really mad. You were upset because Dad liked me the best, and I had that fancy coat of many colors. What you did, you meant for evil. But God went ahead, and he meant it for good. There's a plan, and there is a purpose in my life. I had the dream as a young boy, and now God's brought this to pass. So, you and I were a masterpiece. There's multiple levels, potentially, the x rays showed under the Mona Lisa. But that top coat, that top layer, that's what we see, and we say, wow, look at this masterpiece. Sometimes it's a struggle to get through the difficulties, but God is with us. So, masterpiece. Understand we are a work in progress. Understand we're created for a purpose. Third and finally, as a masterpiece, know that we have been planned in advance. He says we're the masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And the end of verse 10 says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Plan and a purpose in advance. In, in a sense, it's kind of like God's got a blueprint for your life. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose for you. And he's desiring that we would live according to that. God is proactive, not reactive. One person puts it this way. Each of us has an eternally designed job description, which includes the task, ability, and place to serve. God has the blueprint. And he's desiring to use you and to use me in ministry and pointing people to him. In some cases, pastors and missionaries, etc., uh, there are some of those that you would consider full-time vocational ministry, that is what they do entirely. But just because you might not be a full-time vocational Pastor or minister or missionary doesn't mean you don't have a job to do. You do. We are called to serve God. We're called to point people to Him. We're called to be active for Him in ministry. Don't sit around, don't stand around, and I'm, I'm going to wait for the audible voice of God to jump in and to say, Mark do this. There's a whole bunch of opportunities right in front of you. Whether right here in the local church body, Alger Assembly of God, our our community, our family, our neighborhoods, there are a lot of opportunities to be a blessing for the Lord, to minister and to serve other people. Understand this, we've got everything we need to do everything God desires. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 puts it this way, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. He's given us everything we need. Now, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It still means we're a work in progress. But God's given you and I what we need to be used of Him. Used by Him for a plan and for a purpose. God doesn't look at you and say, "Man, look at this masterpiece and then seize the difficulty that you face or the challenging situation that you face, and, and then look at you and go, "Oops! I messed up." Oops, I wasn't thinking about that one. Now things taking God by surprise. Plan and a purpose. Yes, there's some challenges. Yes, there might be some detours in the path that we face, but there's a blueprint. God desires you and I to be used by Him. And here's the challenge, though. So many times we tend to look around and we want to compare ourselves to someone else. We say, well, I can't do this like so-and-so. That's true, maybe you can't. And then you look a little further, well, I can't do this like so-and-so. That might be true. And so you look a little further, and pretty soon what you're doing is you're finding all the things you can't do rather than looking to see the things that you can the things that God has called you or placed within you or gifted you or equipped you or energized you to do. Instead, so many times we look at saying, boy, I wish I could like so-and-so. Well, God created so-and-so, but God created you and you're a little different than so-and-so. So figure out and determine and say, God, help me to see and to sense what you've created me to do. He said, you've created me to do good works, and you've prepared in advance for me to do it. Don't get so caught up in looking at what you don't have. You overlook what you do have. God's given you everything you need to do everything he desires. Last week, we said, you are an ambassador. And there's some descriptions based on that that affects how we live for him. This morning, we're seeing from Ephesians chapter two, you and I are a masterpiece. We're a work in progress. We're created for a purpose. And we're planned in advance.